You're listening to episode 56. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our future guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really, I am the number one student. So get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals podcast where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. Super excited today. This is Davis Mutawa, your host. I'm bringing you our feature guest, Mr. Z Ali. Z, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? I'm ready. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Well, thanks for being on the show, Z. Ladies and gentlemen, Z is the founder of the Z Group, which makes custom apparel, print, and promotional products. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I first checked him out on a, on a Mixergy interview actually a little while ago, and I thought we need to have him on the show. Um, you can check more of um, Z at thezgroup.com. Super excited to dig more into your stories, so welcome to the show once again. But uh, before we dive in, maybe just take 30 seconds and tell us who is Z outside of business. Sure, uh, absolutely. So Z is an overly ambitious <laughs> young entrepreneur um, who believes he can have anything and everything he wants in life if he really focuses and makes that, that goal uh, an obsession. I'm a hustler and a sales guy, and... Um, I love I love it at work. That's who I am. Yeah. And um, I always ask this question, um, the how long have you been in business for yourself full-time? Uh, we're about seven years now in business. Okay. And uh, tell us a little bit about your, your business. What are your core revenue pillars, your core revenue sources, and how, how those have changed from seven years ago? Sure. So uh, my business, when we started it, was primarily focused on selling chef uniforms to culinary schools. In fact, I was selling uh, these chef coats to all of my classmates while I was studying culinary arts in school. And that's kind of how the business started. Um, but being a young, dumb entrepreneur, uh, you say yes to everything. And mm. so when people were asking me for aprons and hats and knives and pastry sets and pens and mugs, I would just say yes to everything. And um, over the past seven years, now we have access and offer over a million different products and have partnered with some of the largest brands in the in the world, including Under Armour, Nike, Panagonia. Uh, and so what we do is we customize merchandise for our clients. So we're a B2B business. Uh, we work with companies and providing them with uh, merchandising for their events, their conferences, for employee morale, to develop uh, wellness programs for acquiring new business. So there's a lot of different um, ways we package our merchandise to help businesses. Well, first of all, congratulations for, for you know, sticking on with the journey and for all the success that you guys are seeing. So seven years ago is when you, you went 
culinary school. So it's an interesting pivot, I guess. Are you are you still in that industry or not, or, or more just for providing them with the services that you provide and the products that you're providing the market today? Sure. So that's still a nice niche for us. We work with several different culinary schools and we provide them still with all of their uniforms, their knife sets and pastry sets, and we manage all the logistics fulfillment for these schools. Um, I'm not actively working in hospitality. Uh, I did for a while, um, you know, from being a busser to a server, a bartender, uh, executive chef. I've, I've worked um, worked all over <laughs> food service, but no, I don't have the time today to do it. But sometime in the future, I would love to just travel through Europe and just go work on the line somewhere and cook. That'd be right, fun. Right. <laughs> so take me back. You've t- you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but um, how did the entrepreneurial journey start for you? Um, so you were in school full time and then suddenly you started supplying these you know, culinary uniforms. How did that whole evolve? Sure. So I guess the, the, the root of it was um, I grew up watching way too much MTV Cribs and I uh, swore to myself that if a man with grills in his mouth could have those cars and those houses that I could too. And um, I grew up in a, an entrepreneurial family. My parents had restaurants and um, they were really never around because uh, for anybody who's worked in food service, they understand that hospita- the hospitality industry is not a job or a career. It's a lifestyle. And mm-hmm. what that means is 14, 16, 18-hour days. I mean, I remember my parents had um, a bed, like mattresses, in the basement of the restaurant. So many times they just wouldn't come home. And, you know, that was normal to me because that's kind of how I was raised. Um, so I-, I was selling, you know, I was always money hungry because I always, like from what I saw, I figured my parents were either really poor, just re- needed money. They were always working. And I was always trying to, you know, have my side hustle. So I would sell the most unusual things. Uh, anything I could get my hands on, I would try to sell it to some someone. Um, so I was selling bootleg music, DVDs. I was selling cigarettes for 50 cents a piece, three for a dollar if you came before a certain time. Um, just <laughs> I, anything I get my hands on, I would sell. And so I eventually got a job working at uh, this place called Classic Residence by Hyatt, which is a senior luxury uh, living community for um, yeah, you know, retired uh, individuals. Uh, it's called V-Now. And uh, I got a job there as a busboy, worked my way up to a server, absolutely hated it, was begging the chef to let me cook, told him that, you know, I had my parents at a restaurant and knew what I was doing, which probably didn't know what I was doing, but <laughs> I had some confidence to tell him I did. Um, eventually, on a busy Saturday night, the uh, one of the dishwashers called off, and so I was waiting a table, and my manager asked me and said, hey, the chef is wondering if you'd be willing to wash dishes, and I was ecstatic because what that meant was I can go and put on a chef uniform because it was the same uniform for the dishwasher, and so I started washing dishes, and I swore to myself that I was not going to go back and, and wait on tables. I just didn't want to deal with the the senior <laughs> with the seniors uh, it wasn't easy um being you know being a server is not an easy job and so um from being a dishwasher i think i did that for a few months i got promoted to a prep cook preparing vegetables and just cutting and getting everything ready for the line cooks eventually moved up to a line cook position and then by the time i left i think i was there for almost all throughout high school and I had management responsibilities where I was in charge of the Sunday brunch and, and really they were dependent on me to manage a lot of uh, things. 
And so um, they sat me down and my chef said, hey, you need to go to college. And I kind of laughed because I refused to take loans out and I couldn't afford it and didn't want to be in debt. And so I was very fortunate. I had uh, scholarships. So I had full scholarships, ended up in culinary school. And while I was there, I started uh, getting chef coats from the flea market for a few dollars. And uh, I started knocking on every classroom door and started selling them out of my duffel bag. And so that's kind of how the journey started. And how, why chef coats? Uh, chef coats because a buddy of mine had a source where he was getting them from. And he would just ask me, hey, Z, you know, I've got these products, um, these chef coats. I really think we can sell them. And so I finally agreed and we partnered up. And um, he was getting them for like 2 or $3 um, from the flea market. And our bookstore was selling them for, I think, $30 a coat. And so we knew we had enough margin to do really well. And right. so and, and that was just a no-brainer. You pay $3, we can sell it. I think we were selling it for way too low, like 12 13 14 bucks, and, like, splitting the profits. Like, we, we didn't know business. We just – we knew we were still making some money, and it was a fun little, you know, hustle. So, Well, that's, that's, that's a great story. And so you test you, – I guess you, you – low, low entry barrier, so you kind of just started it. Um, and then you didn't really focus on it as, as something that will grow, but rather just a side thing, I guess. Yeah, but it was just a side thing. I was still working, you know, while I was in culinary school, I was still working at that, at that Hyatt. So, you know, I wasn't depending on the chef coat sales to be my, you know, bread and butter. Mm, very interesting. I generally ask my, my guests, you know, how do you acquire your first paying clients? Um, and I guess for you, it was at the school you were at, but you still had to go out and get some clients. How did that come about? Sure. So I guess my first legal client, I'll say, because all the sales were pretty much cash and, you know, hopefully the IRS isn't listening. And if they are, no one likes you. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so at my actual first legal client after I had actually formed a company um, was I was referred to a culinary school from one of my teacher's at uh, at Triton College, and I showed up there in a duffel bag. I typed up on Microsoft Word. I was a nerd, so I typed up uh, my prices on there and made it look like a restaurant menu because I thought, you know, that was going to be impressive. <laughs> and I right. showed up at the school, and uh, the chef looked at the prices, and he was just blown away. He was ready to place his order. He's like, hey, I need all my stuff, like, next week. And I was like, you're crazy. Why don't we just go downstairs to my car? I'll open up the trunk. You take what you need to give me my money and I'll be on my way. And he thought I was crazy. <laughs> and so he explained to me, he explained to me that I needed, you know, all this paperwork. I needed to become an approved vendor. I needed it, you know, a W9. I don't even remember. He was speaking a foreign language to me. And, you know, I looked at him and I said, listen, chef, I'll get you everything you need. Just, you know, give, give me a, a few days. I promise I'll, I'll get you everything. And so I, I left. He didn't get it, purchase anything that day. But the one thing I did do that I did pretty often when I was first starting my business was I took a voice recorder and I would like secretly record all of my conversations when I would meet with, with clients or prospects or anyone really, because most of the time I never understood anything they were saying. I just wasn't educated on, you know, th this lingo of business. And so what I did was I went back home. I played the entire conversation and I Googled all these words that he was saying, like W9 and 1099 and all this, whatever he was saying. And literally I, the way I started the business was I clicked on the very first ad in Google. I didn't even know it was an ad. 
I clicked it and I paid them about, I think it was like $800 and I rushed and expedited the service. And within two days, I think one or two days, I had a real business. And so once that paperwork was in, I sent it to them and then they were my very first client. Wow. And so at this point, are you already branding the material, the, 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 the chef coats? At that time, no, it was, there, was, there was nothing on it, no logos. And actually, these coats that I was getting so cheap from the flea market, the only reason was because they were considered seconds or defective coats. So they would have very minor imperfections on them. So maybe a tag was cut or maybe there was a, a string hanging off the back or it, it wasn't, if it wasn't 100% perfect, it wasn't ready for retail. And if it wasn't ready for retail, rather than spending the money to recycle it or trashing it, most of these products somehow end up at the flea market or they'll end up somewhere where someone can do something with it. And so that's how we were able to make money. And yeah. And so at this point, are you still in a partnership with your mate? Uh, no. So that was that lasted, I think, um, only during the course of the first first year, I believe, the first year or so. Yeah, not not longer than that. Um, so we were both in culinary school and it was my friend Manny. Um, we're still friends. And, and um, I, you know, he's, he's an awesome chef. He's, you know, I think he's really moved up uh, in the industry. And I think, you know, his passion was food and, and not really selling. And I just like to sell. And so I'm doing what I love. He's doing what he loves. And it's, it's worked yeah. out for both of us. <laughs> so how, do you, how did you then grow your, your business from that point? So you've got your first restaurant. And then, then what? Did you ask them for a referral or did you just keep marketing somehow? Yeah, so I really didn't know too much. So having no real education on business, the only logical thing was, hey, you know, just print a flyer, which which I had, and walk around giving it to every person that you saw that would need coats, so everybody in the program. I mean, I was able to convince pretty much every teacher had agreed in my college to you know allow us to show up to their classrooms before classes started and let the students try on the coats. I would take their orders, you know, on a notepad. Um, and then I would deliver the orders the following week to their mm-hmm. classrooms. So that's kind of how I started. And then once I started getting into the different merchandise, the t-shirts and hats and all the other products, I was just targeting businesses that were visibly like visible to me pretty much. So if I was driving down the street and I saw a business like, like an auto auto shop, I'd be like, Oh, they probably need t-shirts because they probably get dirty all the time and they probably need business cards and, and gifts and whatever else. And so that's kind of how I was just targeting businesses that were visible to me, which was totally not the right move. <laughs> right. I guess it worked at the time, right? Uh, it, it worked. It was a learning experience. I mean, those smaller businesses, the businesses, those mom and pop shops that were visible, they really were not good prospects for me because they were either too small, didn't have a budget, didn't really care for these things. You know, it was just a t-shirt was a t-shirt to them. Um, and so, you know, understanding who your ideal customer is, is so critical in business. And so what I suggest, you know, any listeners, future entrepreneurs, if you're working on a business, make sure to take the time out to identify your ideal customer profile. So spend the time to figure out, you know, how big the prospects should be. Like, you know, for us, we like working with companies that have been in business for at least, you know, three years businesses that have more than 25 employees, businesses that do more than maybe, you know, four or five million in revenue, businesses that go to trade shows and conferences. So that's the description kind of of our ideal prospect. It doesn't mean we, we don't, we turn down business if you have 
you know, 24 employees or 18 employees. I mean, we work with startups to publicly traded companies and we kind of just qualify them to see if it's a good fit or not. But you really need to understand who your ideal prospect is and, and chase after them. You know, I was actually coaching somebody just this morning about them you know, narrowing down on that ideal prospect. Did you find a point during your um, your journey towards this point where you felt like, it's going to narrow my, my, my customer target too too much and I might lose out on other business? I just felt like I was wasting time. I, I didn't know how to prospect or where to do lead gen from. And so the only thing that made sense was there's a, there's a standing building there and there's people in it and they're open. So they probably need some of my merchandise. So let me go sell to them. So my idea of sales was just drive park in a parking lot and knock on every single door with flyers, business cards and chat with everybody that would give me a minute of their time. That's what logically made sense. I never realized, you know, when I was 18, 19, that there is huge buildings in downtown Chicago with hundreds and thousands of companies and maybe going there would be much, you know, easier. But I I know now there's so much security and stuff. You can't just, you know, get into these buildings. Um, and knock on doors, they'll get upset. But yeah, things have changed. So, how are you growing the business today? What has changed? What's changed is we have a very clear understanding of our of our target, um, and mm. and who's a good fit for us. So we we're always testing and seeing what's working for acquisition. Um, but we do a combination of a lot of different things, whether it's direct mail. Whether having, you know, we have we're putting together a pretty strong retention program. Um, we try to always ask for referrals after um, our orders are delivered. So that's, that's like a, a requirement that we do. Um, we always call, call or email for feedback after every order that's delivered. And then, you know, we aim to really over-deliver. We send personalized handwritten note card, notes to every single new client that we get. Um, and we really just try to give them that awesome experience because truly, I mean, almost everything in the marketplace is a commodity and you need to find ways to separate yourself from your competitors and so we really try to over deliver on on everything yeah now before we started the show you were asking me uh, a good question about you know there's so many podcasts out there why why did i feel that i i I still needed another podcast in this space and my answer to you was i didn't really step back and start to think about you know how many are out there there are many podcasts that are doing exactly what i'm doing but I bring my unique difference to the to the table, which is my story and how I ask the questions will be totally different because of the angle I'm coming from. And also it's something that I've always wanted to do on different platforms and it just wasn't practical enough for me. And I found that this will be very practical for me because it's audio, it doesn't require a lot of edits, etc. So I pose the same question to you. There were already a lot of people doing branding, etc. Now at the beginning it kind of fell in your in your path with your with your mate, but there was a point, I'm sure, along the journey where you thought, geez, there's, there's enough people probably doing this, um, or, or maybe not, but have you had that conversation? How did you resolve and work around that? Yeah, absolutely. So before I answer that, I'm going to challenge you a little bit more. I kind of let you slide earlier before the podcast, but I'm going to challenge you a little bit. So yes, there are many podcasts out there that focus on you know entrepreneurs sharing their story. Personally, I don't believe there needs to be another podcast. Now, you can prove me wrong, or you know we could even chat after after we record this about it, but I feel that there's so many podcasts out there that are really, really good. And I understand that if there's another podcast, maybe there's an opportunity to expose this new content to a different audience and a bigger audience, which is great. But the reasoning behind it, I don't quite agree with 
you. I, I know, like, for instance, uh, Andrew Warner from Mixergy, the reason he does his podcast is because he wants to leave a legacy. He wants something for his kids to, you know, have in reference to if they need to. And then there's other podcasters who do it because they just want to build their Rolodex and have awesome access to these entrepreneurs that they normally wouldn't have access to. And if you were to email me and say, hey, let's just grab a coffee and chat, I would probably decline it or not respond unless there was something in there that was truly valuable to me versus, you know, inviting me on your show and saying, hey, I promise I'm going to do everything to get you as much exposure as I possibly can. And then somehow it's going to help you. And then you'd figure that out, whether it's going to help me with personal branding, whether it's getting me more clients for my business, whatever that is. But that's my two cents on that. So to answer your question, what makes us different and why am I doing what I'm doing? So Z Group was started for the absolute wrong reason. Well, not fully wrong. Um, I started it for money because I was broke and I wanted money. And I've always been really money hungry because of watching my parents not have money. And so I started it for money. In year five, I was doing pretty darn well. I, I was living downtown. I still live downtown Chicago. I bought everything I've pretty much wanted to buy except the Lamborghini, which I will buy. And that's going to give me exactly probably 30 minutes of happiness. Yeah. I'm never going to look under the hood. I'm never going to race it. Usually money, physical things, materialistic things buy me 10 minutes of happiness. I think the Lambo is going to give me half an hour. Um, so <laughs> when I was in year five and I bought all the stuff I wanted, nice clothes, I bought a bunch of shoes and all these things that I've wanted, I sat back in my, my desk and I was like, now what? I, I, I bought everything. I can go out. I can afford dates. I can do all this stuff. So what's the point? And so I, I was seriously depressed and it took me quite some time to get out of that. But I didn't have a purpose or reason. I became lazy. I didn't care. You know, money was coming in. I, you know, I started hiring a couple of people, like things were going. And so I just lost my passion. There was no reason. And so once I was able to recover and get out of that, I finally, you know, I found my purpose now, I believe. So the only reason I run Z Group is because I am passionate about marketing. I haven't accomplished all of my goals with this company. And I love scaling a company. Like I love scaling in business and operations. And I sometimes don't even consider Z Group as like a real business, even though it is. I think that's like this fun experiment that I threw $800 at. And it turned out to be, you know, something that employs people and, and is actually helping a lot of businesses. Um, and so that, that's my real reason. Um, it's because mm -hmm. I absolutely love figuring business out. And this is the platform that's available for me where I can do it. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to pivot into more of fear of failure. One of, the, one of the key things around failure is, you know, there's people who are better than me. Case in point, there's, there's many great podcasts that are doing what I'm doing. So why should I start? You know, mine is not going to go anywhere. Same, same conversation, perhaps with you. Um, you know, what, what keeps you feeling like, you know, especially at the beginning, I'm, and I'm really talking to somebody listening here thinking, I want to start something, but I feel like there's already enough people out there. Um, why, why do I need to get in that space? I'm probably going to fail. Yeah, so almost I think almost everything is out there. So if you're creating a business that's similar in a lot of ways to your competitors or something that's out there, a product you've seen, the the real true way to separate yourself from everyone else is to create a brand that's radically different. So create a product that's radically different. Don't make it slightly different. Make it 100,000% different than the competition. Truly make it radically different. And if it is, then you'll either create your own product category you know, you'll end up creating a brand that's like, oh, those guys do that crazy stuff or they do that crazy product that like I've never seen before and you'll make people talk about it. So it needs to be truly radically different. 
So your value proposition needs to be very clear. We are the world's first company to do X, Y, Z, or we're the first this, we're the first that, whatever it is, like truly figure out a way to, you know, generate or create that value proposition that's really unique. And that's how you'll stay, you know, in, in, a bit, in the marketplace. Give me an example of how you guys have managed to do that, Z. Yeah, so what we do is we really, really emphasize customer service and we really go out of our way and we try to blow people away. So, I, you know, I've learned so much of what I know now through just failing and falling on my face. And so I've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. And so a few years ago, we started implementing a, a software. It's called Manage Hub. So just like managehub.com. And so what it allows us to do is document all of our knowledge and processes, including any issues that we have. So um, let me give you an example. A couple of days ago, um, we had a client that emailed us and they said, hey, we want to order some sweatshirts and t-shirts and we would love um, you know, for you to show us what it would look like. So what that, what that means to me is, hey Z, can you just take our logo and have your designer make it look really pretty on a sweatshirt and on a t-shirt and show it to me in different colors. And then I'll think about it and maybe I'll order and maybe I'll get back to you. And like, I, I don't have time for that. Like that just sounds like a bunch of nonsense to me um, because mm. I don't know if I have the order. You don't know what you want. You just want to see things and then sit on them. And like, that's just, uh, we don't work that way. And so we have a process. Uh, of the way we work. And so we understand what the client's goals are, what the hoodies and sweatshirts are for, um, what are they going to do with them? Where are they giving them to? And then we can come up with, you know, recommendations based off of, you know, the data we've collected and say, hey, this is what you should go with. And here's our recommendations from our experience from printing thousands and thousands of these sweatshirts and t-shirts. Um, and, and here's how you should go about it. And so to help resolve that, we educate them. But what we do is we document all these issues. Um, so that we're aware of them, and then we create audit steps so that we prevent them from repeating. And so that's kind of our process. So we're always documenting all of our mistakes uh -huh. and then just finding issues or finding, um, you know, ways to resolve them. That's very interesting. I like the fact that, you know, you, you know where your key strength is. And I guess entrepreneurship, my background is, is audit and accounting, uh, systems, documentation, trying to automate where you can, trying to eliminate where you can. It's, it's not always easy because we're most entrepreneurs are technicians rather than, you know, gifted in trying to create systems. They just want to, uh, if it's, sometimes it feels a bit boring, but I guess you've kind of gotten on top of that. Um, what about fear of failure? Did you ever feel like, you know, it's getting too hard? You know, was there any point where you wanted to just quit? Yeah, I think everything that I've uh, accomplished in my life, business, non-business related, I've always wanted to quit. And when you don't and you keep going, it's the greatest feeling in the world when you actually get to your goals and, and, and make it whatever make it means to you. So everyone has their own definition of success. Um, mm -hmm. I look at failure in a completely different way. I mean, failure is just a stepping stone to get closer to where I want to go. Um, it's a part of the process. And if you don't fail, you'll never make it. So either you get used to failing, you know, or you can just hide under your covers and stay there. And yeah. you can stay under your covers and I'll steal all of your customers. So <laughs> Was there a, a critical low point when you were growing the business that you can share with us? Sure. Um, I mean, I failed at every single point, period. Like, I failed 10 million times every single day. And I guess, you know, I'll tell you why I continue to go. <laughs> and it's funny. Um, so I grew up watching a ton of wrestling. And I'm not going to mm. lie. Those storylines, like with the WWE nowadays, they're awesome because they have stories and, like, 
the stories usually are along the lines of don't give up and like the villain will lose, you know, and the hero will, you know, be victorious. And so I think that has certainly contributed to my mindset where I know no matter how rough things get, I can figure out a way. I mean, it's truly learning how to calibrate your mind to understand that this is just a small, you know, it's a small bump in the road and that's all it is. And so I remember my, I don't know if it was my first or second year, we had a really nice six figure account and I felt like I was the richest person in the world. <laughs> like I, I was, it was, it was a nice, nice account to have. And yeah. I remember all of a sudden emails stopped coming in from this client and I was started to panic. I was like, what's going on? And turned out we had lost that entire six figure deal. And I was devastated. I was crying. I was frustrated. I didn't know what to do. Like I was just, because I think that was like 80% of all of our revenue, if not more. And, um, you know, I had to suck it up. You know, it took me, a, you know, I think a couple of days, maybe even a week to suck it up and be like, all right, I need to kind of figure out a way to have a real business. I can't kind of depend, I can't just depend on this one customer. And, and I had lost it because the CFO of a competitor, the competitor's company was best friends with the CEO of my client company and so that's kind of why and you know quite honestly I think I was being lazy I didn't know what to do I could have done a way better job of account management I could have done a way better job of gifting and surprising them and and really building that relationship and I didn't because I wasn't aware and so I did what I knew and mm. you know I can see myself sitting at my my desk at my apartment with my like feet kicked up like I felt like I was on an island I couldn't believe that <laughs> You know, I was making all this money. It was like, this is crazy. Wow. That's very interesting. Um, so w was there, an, uh, flipping the coin, a biggest moment of, of breakthrough that you felt, you know, the business has now finally taken off from maybe where you had, a, you know, that situation you just described. You had this one client who was like, you know, 80% of your revenue. At what point did you feel things have really settled? Um, you've really turned the corner in terms of, you know, your revenue spread, your customer distribution. Was it, if, uh, you know, compounding over time or there was a big hit where things just took a surge? Sure. So I think I, the turning point really was when I started learning, getting like educated in my industry and space. And so I remember I was connected. So while I was in culinary school. There was this, I called her crazy lady before I got to know her and she's not crazy. She's really, really awesome. And she, she owns the largest uh, gluten-free traveling expo and educational company. And so when we were in our sauces class in school, she kept asking our chefs to alter the recipe to make it gluten-free. And I was like, man, this woman is crazy. She is just holding up class. I want to move along. Anyways, her neighbor owns the largest rugby apparel company in America and Canada. And so she introduced us. And that's kind of how I started learning about the other uh, side of the business, the promotional products and um, the customization, the embroidery and uh, the printing and things like that. And so I don't think he even knows this, but like I still had my voice recorder when I would go to those meetings and then come back home and Google and, and learn. And so just really doing my research, however it was. And then, you know, I think eight, nine months later, I was exposed to industry conferences and events and education. We ended up hiring a consulting firm. I think through all that education, like I just got such confidence knowing that, hey, there are people and resources that are readily available. Like there is no excuse for anybody listening to this podcast to not hit their goals. It's either you're, you're lazy, um, you're scared, you're hiding under the covers. And again, if you do that, I will take all your business. Like whatever space you're in, I'm going to like figure, find out and then I'm going to crush you. <laughs> Hopefully that's motivation. Um, but yeah, just 
having knowing I have access to resources, right? And mm. you can list out all your problems and then go find the answers to each of them. Use Google. I mean, call someone, ask every person you know. I mean, do whatever you need to do to get to the solution. Yeah, it's interesting. I was um, at a seminar two weekends ago and uh, someone was sharing about, you know, how we sometimes, you know, minds fantasize to say, you know, when I become a billionaire or a millionaire, um, I will have all these resources. And, and the person was talking about it was like, you know, Richard Branson is a billionaire, but he doesn't have unlimited resources. That's why he's still working on different projects, like to go into intergalactic space, uh, travel, etc. And it's not happening fast enough because there's limitations that they have even at, at a billionaire level. So, but you know, having that abundant mindset, it means at any level that we are, we can still access you know, enough resources and we'll never feel like, you know, we've got enough uh, that we don't need to access anymore. So, so I think that's a really good point. Probably slightly different analogy, but, but still really valid. I, I like it. Um, I wanted to ask you, you talked about now you've got like a million different products. Is that right? Can you talk me about what that means? Yeah. So we have partnered with hundreds of different brands, um, a few I mentioned earlier. And so uh, the core of our business truly is apparel. That's We were an apparel company, a chef uniform company when we started, and then we got into the T-shirts and hoodies and jackets and everything in the garment space, uniform-wise, across every vertical we provide apparel for. And so we don't man- custom manufacture the items unless we need to, and that's their project requirements. So usually we'll have a company that I'll call us and say, hey, We've got this big golf event that's coming up that we're doing as a customer appreciation event. You know, we'd love to get some uh, really nice polos and some golf balls and some golf bags. And so we would then turn around and recommend them some really nice Nike golf balls or Nike polos and then an OGO golf bag. And then we'll embroider on the golf bag, on, you know, on the jackets, zip ups or polos that they're getting and print on the golf balls and then provide those as a welcome gift for each of their clients or whoever's at this event. Um, so we'll utilize other people's manufacturing and brands and resources to help sell our products. So we're really the middleman on most of it, but we're doing the decoration here in Chicago. So we actually do the stitching and the embroidery on these items. So we, we have access to pretty much every product. So, you know, the, the thousands of other products you're probably thinking, what are they? It, it's, you know, I like to kind of use that line as a marketing because I really want people to understand that we're, truly we can get anything. Um, maybe it requires a little bit of research, um, but we do have relationships in manufacturing established in China. So if there are, you know, clients in Africa that need something that's truly custom and they're ordering, you know, uh, the appropriate, you know, the minimum quantities for that product, then certainly we can have it manufactured there, some samples and, and help them. Okay, so, you, so you've got a factory set up in Chicago as well, did you say? Yeah, so we have a manufacturing uh, a location here where we do all of the embroidery. Mm. Give me a size of, of your, your business in terms of, I don't know, employees or, or um, your current reach, just so we get a sense of, are you working solo at the moment or you've got a team? Yeah, so it's a small team. It's about four of us. Um, mm. We have so many partnerships, so I'll give you one quick example so that, like, people don't go crazy, like, how did you do a million products? Um, So if we had a prospect or a client that wanted to buy pens, for example, we have a relationship with Big Pen. We would pick up the phone. We wouldn't literally do this. We have protocol for it, but we would pick up the phone and say, hey, Big, uh, we have this customer. 
um, who's got this podcast and he wants his logo on the pens. We want 500 of them with the logo. I'll email you the logo and then I'll give you my credit card now. And then can you print them and then ship it to them? And Vic will be like, okay, cool. We'll take care of it. Bye. And so um, mm-hmm. that's kind of an overview example of kind of how it works is where yeah. Vic has patents on their pens and products that they've developed and created and spent all this, you know, millions of dollars on R&D. And then we are authorized resellers of their products and then we find the customers and then we sell in bulk. Very cool, very cool. So you've managed to find a, a space in the market there that allows you to do that. Uh, that's good. I wanted to ask you to pivot a little bit as we kind of come to the top of the hour here. A couple of quick and fast questions for you. Um, how do you rank the following Z, if at all? Faith, fun, family, finances and friendships. Um, so I think, let's see. So I'd say faith would probably be the first one. Um, you need to have faith. I'm going to steal this from my friend Topher who said, you need to have faith when you leave your, you know, your house or apartment in the morning and have faith that there's going to be concrete there so that you won't fall on your face, right? So you need faith that what you're doing is going to actually give you some rewards, whether it's rewards as in lessons um, that you learn from your failures or money, whatever it is that you want. So I think faith is important. Um, number two, it's not in your, your list that you mentioned, but I would say health. I think that is that should be your number one or number two regardless you don't want to end up in in the er like i did a couple times um going 100 miles an hour um and then i'd say um fun and friendship would be tied to relationships so i would change that i would put it'd be like faith health relationships um i haven't figured out where to insert the family thing because i'm not really close to my family but i think that's different for everybody so you you know i know many people are family should be number one um, but that's for me. So faith, health, relationships, I'm figuring out the whole family thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. No, thanks for sharing that. Um, so just very quickly, you kind of uh, burned out and found a shelf in ER. Um, tell me just a quick little bit about that. So I blocked out every minute of every day, seven days a week, and worked 14, 16, 18 hours a day as much as I possibly could work until I was exhausted. I would only eat food when I absolutely needed food to fuel my body so I could work more. And so... Um, once, uh, I think it was the first or second time that I was, uh, diagnosed with shingles. So if you're not familiar, uh, typically one in three people in the world get it, I think, um, in their fifties or sixties. Um, it's, if you have chicken pox in your body, um, you'll probably end up getting it when you're older. I ended up getting it just because I was over, overworked or stressed or I don't remember mm-hmm. exactly what the, what the doctor said. Um, the second trip to the ER is. I'm too embarrassed to share it. So when when I get to writing my book, I'll make sure it's in, in text because I just verbally can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, it's really important, I guess, yeah, to just to remind ourselves that you know we gotta you gotta stay healthy. Otherwise, um, you won't even have the breath of life to enjoy what you're trying to build. Give me a quick look into what a day in your life looked like when you started seven years ago. Just you know how it looked like and what a day in your life looks like today. Just a brief, brief snapshot. Yeah, so when I first started, I didn't know what I was doing. So certainly I had a job. I was working at the Hyatt or another hotel or restaurant, and I had my little side hustle selling these coats. And that's when I ended up saving enough money and having the confidence to go full-time. I did, but when I started, I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I better be doing something. So I just Mm. took tons of action. I didn't know what was right, what was wrong, but I kept moving. So... I figured the faster I moved, the faster I'd make the mistakes and the faster I'd figure it out. And so that, that, that was my approach. Um, seven years later, I kind of know what I'm doing. Things are structured. 
I try to work in block schedules. You know, my day typically starts with um, working out, writing, reading, and then working on operational stuff, um, dealing with any sort of internal issues that we, we may have. Um, so I'll go into that software I mentioned and, and then and try to find resolutions and, and optimize and audit our processes. Um, and then I'll get into into my, my list after that. I want to ask you, actually, I didn't pick this up earlier. So when did you actually go full-time, Z? Um, so I think legally we've been in business for seven years. And I think mm-hmm. the first year, so I think I've been doing this for eight years now. And so I think the first year, I'm not, I'm not counting that. So, I, so I, that's I think, when you were yeah. still doing that first uh, job and then doing this part-time for a year and then you went full-time after that? Yep. So I think I've been yeah, selling merchandise and doing what I'm doing now for eight years. The first year I don't count as doing it. I think I was doing it part-time just for fun here and there as a hobby. And, and um, when you went full-time, had you replaced your, your income at the hotels and restaurants you were working in? Honestly, I've never been that great with my numbers and that's something I'm getting obsessed with. So I'm going to be extremely good about it and figure all that, all of that out. Um, but no, I knew that I had enough saved up. I kind of just had a snapshot of like, okay, I, I have enough money. I know X amount's going to cover my rotten food and this will be a little bit for, you know, fun. And that's kind of how I based it off of. I didn't like speak to an accountant or do anything like that. No. So you had like six months runway or something like that. I thought if it doesn't work, I'll go back or you kind of just knew it would work. Um, I didn't know it was going to work. I was like, I'm going to try it out. Worst case, like I, I know I can go cook in any restaurant. I mean, I had a culinary degree. I can, you know, I can always go back to cooking, which I love. So yeah, no, that's a that's a good, good. You know, people always think about how can I go full time? When should I do that? So that's, I just wanted to throw that in. Um, you've talked about mentors um, that you you hired a mentor at the beginning or or consultants, and that helped you you sort of turn the turn the the curve for your business. Do you still invest in mentors? And if you do, tell us why. Um, so yeah, so what I mentioned was I hired a consulting agency that was specialized in my industry, and so they worked with us in helping us understand what we needed to do and. And so I invest in purchasing programs for them and, and one-on-one coaching as well. Um, mm. Do I invest in mentors? Absolutely. I've got a few incredible, incredible mentors that I love very dearly. Um, they've been through what I'm going through and what I've gone through, and they have failed probably 100,000 times more than I've failed. And so I try to utilize them to prevent my failures and to learn learn from them. And so um, I certainly encourage it. Um, does everyone need a mentor? I don't know. I certainly have benefited from it, but you can YouTube a bunch of videos and answers and, and find your gurus, you know, whatever you want to call them to, to keep you focused. I don't utilize them as a source for motivation or like someone to push me. I don't think they would bother spending their time if that was the case. It's more, it's tactical, it's strategic. It's, hey, this, these are, this is what I'm working on. These are my wins and, and failures. This is where I could use your help you know, and this is a situation, can you, can you advise? And so that's how I use them. Awesome. I love that advice. That's great. Um, what about books? You talked about early morning, you, you do exercise and you read, you write. Tell me the best two books that you would recommend uh, as great reads for entrepreneurs. Yeah. So my absolute favorite book of all time right now is called Zag, Z-A-G. The author is Marty. Uh, can't remember his last name, but it's Z-A-G by Marty. Uh, I think it's Newmeyer actually, the last name. You can find it on Amazon. So the book is all about branding and how do you actually create, you know, a brand and a business that's radically different from your competitors. Um, so I think that'll be an eye-opening book for some of your audience. And then the other book I'm really enjoying is by Chet Holmes. The book is called The Sales Machine. It's just an incredible book, and I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it. Okay, great. I haven't heard of those, so thanks for sharing that. 
Um, what is the best way for people to connect with you, Z? So the best way is uh, they can follow me on social media at the ZLE, so T-H-E-Z-E-E-A-L-I on all social media platforms I'm on Snapchat and Instagram and all that. Okay, great. We'll put, we'll put that in, in our show notes. And before I ask my last question, I just want to thank you for um, you know, spending the time on this show. I know you, you're flat out and we've been trying to, to organize the time and um, you know, things that come up on your end and my end. But um, it's been great just to have a chat to walk through your story. Uh, you're obviously very passionate about what you're doing and very lively and impactful in, in the things that you're helping other businesses achieve. Uh, but more specifically for coming on, on our show and pouring out those words of wisdom, I'm sure somebody has been inspired and encouraged to, to go out and chase their dream. Um, now, my last question, when all is said and done, do you think about legacy? And if you do, what do you want to leave and be remembered for? And tell us why. Yeah, I think I definitely want to leave a legacy. I think most entrepreneurs would, would like to do that. So I'm in a field that's from, I've learned this from uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, which is to, to document um, your journey. And man, I wish I had documented and videotaped, you know, those two trips to the emergency rooms and my reactions and what happened so that I can look back at it and, and you know, one day show my kids like, guys, it wasn't, you know, you got to put in the work. And really, I guess the, the legacy is, you know, I, I truly, you know, I started really, <laughs> started at the bottom. <laughs> and so like, I, I've worked really hard and just, had such a positive attitude about like, I'm going to figure it out. There's always a way. I just always believe that I can do things. And, you know, I have barely grazed the surface of my potential. So, you know, I've got long ways to go, <laughs> long ways to go. And so it's just a, it's a mentality thing. And so I just hope that, you know, people can learn from my lessons and, you know, the lessons of everybody else, you know, my mentors and everyone else. So I just, I hope that they can um, have a more impactful and better life and find their purpose. Well, thank you so much. And ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Um, you know, document what your journey is looking like and help um, other people have a more impactful life through your impact. Um, so Z, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. You know, it's really, really great to have you here. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for, for hanging out with me and Z today. Hope you had as much fun as I did and hope you can get your hopes up that you're good enough to chase your dreams. Head on over to businessjournals.com for all the show notes. Just type in Z, that's Z-double-E in the search bar, and his show notes will come up with everything we talked about today. That's businessjournals.com. And uh, to connect with Z, you can check him out at social media at the Z Alley and um, reach out to him and say hello. Z, again, cheers for being on the show. Uh, really appreciate your story. We're very grateful. You are a true business general. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, what's up, Business Journals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.